politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard your own lives. Yes, we are no longer fighting for our country. We are fighting for self-preservation of our own lives. Daniel Horowitz back in the house here at CR Podcast, Blaze Media, Wednesday, April 21st. And really nothing new happened yesterday. Because the seeds of this were sown last May 25th when we had a revolution in this country. And we had two revolutions. We had a revolution on March 16th of COVID fascism. And then we had KKK, which is BLM, where we reinstituted Jim Crow, where the imagery of what Derek Chauvin did without the context was broadcast everywhere. And they used technology and censorship and racism to create a two-tier justice system where just like with COVID that we've been talking about the past few years, past year, evidence and facts and due process do not matter. They could indulge an issue to the gates of hell. They could, the system that is, and you know what I mean by the system, could demand a result And by golly, they get that result no matter what happens. The KKK would be proud. We now have the exact same thing, except in reverse with BLM. A gun to people's heads as jurors, as judges. You better convict if it's the right race involved, just like it was in the South in the 1930s, 1940s. And in fact... The only difference is back then it was more localized. Now it's the entire country. Back then you didn't have any of the technology to disseminate their poison and hate and racism. And also back then it didn't, you know, the whites that were pushing the anti-black discrimination didn't push policies that harmed whites, harmed themselves. Here these policies are killing more blacks than ever. And that's what we see with this Columbus shooting of Makia Bryant, the 16-year-old girl, demonstrates that the entire Floyd movement is a fraud, but we knew that anyway. This is all about a two-tier justice system where if the system makes a certain criminal case a political issue, facts no longer matter, due process no longer matters, We will get the result we want. All my colleagues said there's no way he could be convicted for second-degree murder. It doesn't make any sense. You, You don't have evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that that's what happened, that he died as a result of that, um, and that it was certainly it was done with some degree of intent, and that it would be a felony murder to the extent that the entire interaction was felonious, given that he was fighting with them and resisting arrest. But I said all along, I told you guys, he will be convicted. Because unlike during Rodney King, where we still had justice in America, and even a couple years ago with the Freddie Gray thing in Baltimore, they smartly opted for a bench trial, not a jury trial. And even though the judge was black and a liberal, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. We live in a different era. There's been a revolution. I think Satan has helped as well. 
you know, because you have bad imagery sometimes, but you always hope that when you get to an actual court, the media won't have its influence, but of course it does. So we now have mob justice, human sacrifice to the gods of the system. There's a lot of elements here to delve through, but first, a very appropriate sponsor for today, iTarget. Folks, you are on your own, okay? If you are in an area where there's crime, you are on your own. You will have to protect yourself. Now, how we protect your legal state of being after you're forced to shoot a criminal, God forbid, is a different story, but the police won't be there for you. You need to learn how to properly draw and shoot. A lot of people don't know that. They don't. They never learned how to properly handle a firearm. This is why we have for ConstitutionCoach.com our trips out to Front Sight, Nevada. But you lose your training very quickly if you don't practice. In a real-life scenario, you're going to be as good as 50%, 50% as good as your last training. Now, the problem nowadays is ammo is a fortune. Very hard to practice. That's why I have iTarget. It's a laser bullet, like a dummy bullet that has a laser, fits into your gun, and you download iTarget's propriety app, and then it it tracks where your shots go. And for just a couple dollars more, um, you could actually have a timed draw shooting. So you could set it to 10 seconds, and you could practice everything you learn at front site on our constitutioncoach.com trips, your stance, your uh, sight alignment, your picture alignment, um, the proper uh, five-point draw, um, almost everything except for the recoil. I'm telling you, it is very accurate the way it tracks your shots. It almost looks like you know a, a target with, with shots on it. It's pretty amazing, the technology we have nowadays. And you know, with uh, 10% off, plus free shipping with offer code CR, you could probably get it for under 100 bucks, and that's it. You got it for life. You don't have to spend thousands upon thousands of, of dollars you know, buying you know, 500 rounds here, 500 rounds there. It's the smartest way to practice, and it pays for itself in one day. So again, go to itarget.com. That's the letter I-T-A-R-G-T. Um, I'm sorry, itargetpro.com. itargetpro.com, all one word, Offer code CR. Now, folks, there's a couple of lessons I want to glean from yesterday. Number one, the seeds of dissolution, as I noted, were not sowed. They weren't sown this year. They were sown on May 25th and in those ensuing few days. And just like COVID fascism began under Trump, when he could have, and I'm sorry, I know I'm going to disappoint people, but he could have stopped it, and instead he joined in with it. It was the same thing here when that dirtbag, um, Brooke Rollins, and Jared Kushner convinced Trump to stand down. And what I mean by that is this. When Trump had the opportunity to do what we've always done historically, we've had rioting, it gets out of hand for a day or two, but then, like any sane, ordered, liberty country, we assume control. It's not an open license that you have a right to riot. You're justified in doing it, and we're not going to deter you. But since then, we created 
an expectation that every time a black person is shot by the cops, regardless of the details, they have the right to riot. It's everyone's problem. Somehow it's racism and not just the circumstances, which most of the time are justified. And if it's not justified, it was, you know, the police under pressure, a mistake, sometimes even could be a criminal mistake. Nothing to do with race. Happens to whites more often per capita. But we don't hear about that. That was the lesson under Rodney King. George H.W. Bush spoke resolutely, put it down, done. Here we let hundreds of cities burn and burn and burn and burn. So the lesson the last couple months in the trial was, hey, we're going to do that again. If you are a juror, is there any way Chauvin could get a fair trial or anyone in a similar circumstance? Their houses would have been ransacked. They would have been killed. I don't even blame them. This is the America we live in now. That is exactly as Alan Dershowitz said yesterday, the KKK tactics. You can never get a fair trial. Now, Dershowitz thinks it's going to be overturned on appeal. I don't think so. Because which judge is going to do that? He's still focused too much on facts. It's just like, Daniel, come on. The mask mandate's not going to last this long. Come on. They can't do this to children. There's no evidence. Evidence and data and facts and law and justice don't matter. Racial supremacism is all that matters in this country, which is why Ashley Babbitt. Not only wasn't the cop charged, it's the first time in history we don't even know his name. It's a two-tier justice system. So this began when the Trump administration allowed it to get out of hand. And it became a license. And you can never put that genie back in the bottle. Give us what we want or we will riot. And nothing really happens then. Very few get arrested, much less serve hard time. So you're done. You lost your deterrent. We're deterred against them. We have mob justice. What the mob demands, the mob gets. Now we could sit and debate what happened, what didn't happen. But here's what we do know. Chauvin never had a fair trial. The exculpatory evidence, the extent it existed, was not allowed to be entered into the the trial. Even if the jurors believed the evidence wasn't sufficient, there is no way, fearing for their lives, they could have ever had a proper trial without sequestration, which is shocking that the judge didn't. But then again, the judge is part of the system. Oh, he's a straight shooter. No, he's not. He worked for Amy Klobuchar. He's a left-wing hack, like all of them are. Never was going to get a fair trial. Now, this is the first time we have second-degree and third-degree convictions landed at once. So it was intentional and unintentional at the same time. Kind of magic. It's pretty funny. No sane person could look at this when you see there was no evidence of the autopsy that any um, damage was done to his neck that could have caused this. He clearly had enough meth and fentanyl mixed with the heart condition to kill him. He was fighting before. He said he couldn't breathe before. So this statement of narrative, everyone's like, Daniel, he had his his thing on his neck for nine minutes. But that didn't make any sense why he would do that. And if it was that bad, you would have seen in the autopsy. What is much more plausible is that he wasn't putting that much pressure on. 
and he was dying before. I mean, you put before, during, after together, it all makes sense. What he was saying before, what happened during, why he didn't stop, and the autopsy results. But instead, the defense was forced to basically prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he couldn't have died at the hands of Chauvin. I was the, here's the other lesson I want to glean from from yesterday. I was thinking, imagine if all the street criminals would be subjected as defendants to that degree of evidentiary standard. Men would we have less murder in this country. Do you know how hard it is when you have murderers that like, well, I don't know if he died from that. The degree of evidence that they have to bring. And mind you here, again, it, with a cop, it is different. Because when you go and attack someone, you don't have no right to even touch them. Here, he did have that right. It was a lawful contact. He was fighting with him. Broadly speaking, this is standard procedure when you deal with someone on drugs having delirium, that they turn them over on their side. So there was no way it could have been felony murder. I always said to the extent that you could even prove something wrong was done, that he waited too long or whatever, either it's a civil case, or somehow you would have some sort of negligence to get some sort of third degree. But like second degree for sure, there's no way you could say beyond a shadow of a doubt he killed him. This has never been applied anywhere. And again, as, as we all know, if Floyd would have been white, not only would this not have been third degree, second degree murder, it wouldn't have been third degree murder, probably wouldn't have been a civil case, you wouldn't have even heard of it. And you know what? This happens all the time, and you never hear of it. BLM is right. The media is right. The politicians are right. We do have systemic racism in our system. We do have a corrupt justice system. That's clear as day. None of this would have happened had the races been reversed. So that's the other lesson. As a result of police being deterred and criminals not being deterred, not being punished, not being sentenced, not being convicted. Think about it. When was the last time you heard of a violent repeat offender with the evidence being clear as day? Prosecutors landing a conviction commensurate with the charges. I've never seen that. Open and shut. They never get it. All these juvenile cases, like, um, you know, you had this, and it, it's relevant to our discussion today with the 16-year-old in Columbus. Oh, it's so sad, these, these young kids being killed by police. Isn't it sad that young kids are killing and have to be confronted by the police? Why don't we deal with the antecedent to the problem, which, by the way, it's funny how almost all the victims are black, as was the case in Columbus, but all they care about is the black perpetrator, not the black victim, of which there are so many more. But yet that case in Washington, D.C., 13 and 15-year-old girls brutally killed an Uber driver. It was pled down. At best, they'll serve until they're 21, possibly get out by the time they're 18. And that's actually because it was so high profile and brutal. The cases of like the knockout murders like John Weed and Frederick when it was a white who was killed by a black teen, he literally got zero, zero anger management. Happens all the time. Never in anticipation or expectation of whites rioting. Why not? Why do we indulge this soft bigotry of low expectations? 
We have now created an entitlement that as long as someone who's black is, is shot by the police, regardless of who that person was, regardless of the circumstances, it justifies anyone who's black to attack anyone who's white and any cop. And this is part of the broader problem. See, none of us ever want to make things about race because we believe in looking at individual circumstances. You punish individuals for what they do. But when the other side makes everything about race, then we have to respond like, dude, actually, it's the opposite. Blacks commit much more crime. Now, we don't believe there's no blacks and whites committing crime. There's John Doe committing crime. But if you want to throw statistics, I got to debunk that. And it's the exact opposite. The reason you have the police interactions is because almost all the crime is committed there. Think about the lesson of Makia Bryant, the Columbus case. Happened on the same day. Yesterday. That proves this entire thing is a Jim Crow. You know, because the Floyd thing was tough. It was the work of Satan. He got them a perfect video. But the problem was it was so perfect it didn't make any sense until we actually understood what was going on. But here, it was clear as day. 16-year-old swinging a knife. It's on video, swinging a knife at someone. They begged her to drop it. She didn't. They shot her. And, and the media is still saying officials claim there was a knife. It's in broad daylight. You see the knife on the camera. Doesn't matter. The media is stoking it. They have to have riot gear there now and prepare for a riot. This is what we've created. Do you understand what's going to happen every time we do this? That they have a right to riot? Do you know how many times police are forced to confront black violent criminals that act violently towards them, towards others? Let me just give you a sense of what no one's going to talk about. According to the UCR, FBI Uniform Crime Report, in 2019, there were 16,425 homicides. Obviously, last year, there were like 21,000. But we don't have the official data yet. There were 268,000 robberies, 821,000 aggravated assaults, 1.1 million burglaries, and nearly 7 million property crimes. Now, folks... Those, are, those numbers are actually a fraction of the universe of crime that exists because this is police reporting, not the victimization survey from BJS. But I, I use these numbers because these are the ones that are reported, so it's more likely that police will interact with them and come across them on the streets. Now, 51% of those arrested for murder, that 16,000, are black. 53% of those arrested for the um, 268,000 robberies are black. 33% for aggravated assault of the 821,000 are black. 35% of those arrested for stolen property. And 42% of those arrested for weapons violations are black. The numbers are even starker among juveniles, which are going to create a bigger deal. 62% of robbery arrests under 18 are black. 40% of aggravated assault arrests under 18 are black. 40%. Hundreds of thousands. So, by definition, it's actually remarkable that fewer of these suspects are shot and killed, given how violent they are when the police wind up confronting them. But think about the standard. If every single case, they get to riot, and, and, and the media gets to convict the cop and ask questions later, you can't live under any policing standard. 
Why isn't anyone talking about the antecedent to this entire problem? The rising crime and lack of deterrent. In many ways, the Makia Bryant case brings out the big lie. It's the lie that the media cares more about a black perpetrator than a black victim. Well, it's still terribly sad that police had to shoot. I mean, I, I get it. Fine, she had a knife. But, but did they have to shoot her? Or couldn't they just kind of like disarm her in another way? What, you, want, you wanted the other person to be stabbed? Why is it that black lives only matter if they're violent criminal dirtbags, but not victims? And why is it that white lives don't matter either? Why isn't our system designed to actually go after bad guys? Think about it. This is what it is. They would have rather the victim have gotten stabbed. Well, guess what? They're getting their wish. This is already happening. It's already happening. I want to explain why it's already happening, but first a word from our second sponsor today. Protect your estate with libertyestateplans.com. My friend Andre Ong and his wife Angela, they have a financial planning business that will protect your estate from government coming after you from, I mean, look, you know, most people, 80%, uh, wind up in some sort of long, long-term long care when they get older, and it's going to deplete your estate. You got probate. If your estate goes through probate after you pass away, your family could see tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of your estate go to attorneys. It only seems like it's the wealthy and well-connected, savvy people who have well-written estate plans. But Liberty Estate Plans is going to make you your own custom-made plan. Go to libertyestateplans.com. You can get 20% discount off your services if you say that I referred you. Um, They will give you a comprehensive analysis of your current plan and then make suggestions without trying to sell you more than what you really need. Um, They'll give you a one-on-one meeting, 100% confidentiality, Um, and they're, they're based out in Missouri. He is actually my Missouri team leader. Um, he is also a constitution coach uh, for uh, Rick Green's guys at Patriot Academy. So real patriot, if nothing else, you could schmooze politics with him. Um, give him a call. He'll connect you with a specialized attorney knows exactly how to craft your documents. Um, and like I said, you'll pay a one-time fee. One-time fee, that's it. No uh, billable hours or surprise expenses. It's a flat fee. But you get to try it for free. Just set up a free consultation, see what he's got to offer. Tell him Daniel sent you. Uh, go to libertyestateplans.com and, folks, schedule a no-cost, no-obligation consultation with Andre to get started. Libertyestateplans.com to set up a moat and a castle around your estate. So, folks, you know, you know what is brought out from all this? Local news in Philadelphia is reporting today a whopping 43% increase in juvenile shootings in Philadelphia last year. 96% of them were black. So they got their wish. They got what they wanted. De-incarceration. The only people you could convict are white cops or Trump supporters. They get zero due process while criminals get 
due process times a million to the point where you can never convict them of anything. So they're out of jail. Police are backing off. You got your wish. Rather than more black criminals being locked up and in the rare case where things go wrong as a percentage, them being shot and killed, guess what? You have victims shot and killed. Increasingly. And and there's a lot of stories out there. It's like babies and toddlers are being shot. Almost all of them are black. You got your wish, buddy. Which leads me to my final point I want to make today. And that is, this has nothing to do with cops. You will be made to care. You know, I have some colleagues like, well, Daniel, maybe we need to train the police better. It's the policing. Nothing to do with anything. It is a two-tiered Jim Crow justice system with BLM having more power than the KKK ever had, even locally, much less nationally. Mob justice. You see, mob justice is not about justice and it's not about facts and evidence. It is about racism. So police are going to back off. They already are backing off. Guess what's going to happen? Rather than the police being the buffer, there won't be a buffer. So they're going to go straight to the civilians. What happens when you're confronted by a black criminal and increasingly in most areas, that is going to be the majority scenario. You know, there's one thing if we make Korean Americans a protected class that they could do the crime and not do the time. They could attack you. You can't defend yourself. All right, well, how common is that? But if you take the demographic that commits the most violent crime, well, we've got a major, major degree of problem here. We've got a major problem. What are you going to do as a civilian? Even in best case scenario, that you don't get charged and convicted or even prosecuted. You are doxxed immediately and you have to flee your neighborhood and you have to go into hiding. Your life is destroyed. You can't get a job. You can't get anything. This is coming for you. It shows that we cannot get a fair trial in major cities when the defendant is white. Meaning, when the defendant is black, it's impossible to convict them. When they're white, it's impossible not to convict them. That is the two-tier justice system. Nothing to do with cops. And in fact, now, it's all going to come for us. Which is why I finally wrote a column today titled, Why I Am, am in Support of Abolishing the Police. And I really mean this. The police are already abolished. Okay, the police are not going to be there to protect us. The only function they could serve at this point is enforcing the BLM agenda, is arresting people for self-defense. When inevitably, because they stood back and you had this guy left on the streets, now if you're white and you're confronted by him, you're either beaten to a pulp or you defend yourself And now the police arrest you. Once police arrest you, now your name is known. Once your name is known, it doesn't matter what happens thereof. Henceforth, your life is destroyed. That's what's happening now. Or they just enforce COVID fascism and all the other stuff. Think about it. All these two-bit mayors and governors 
They would be nothing but a bunch of raving lunatics without any power if they didn't have the police. I am all for abolishing the police, especially the big city departments. If not the rural sheriffs, but the big city departments. Go have at it, BLM. Get your wish. But the reality is, see, I'm calling their bluff. BLM and the communist anarchist dirtbags don't want to abolish the police. Because they don't want full anarchy. They want anarcho-tyranny. They want anarchy for them and tyranny for us. They want no convictions for them, but convictions for us. That's what they want. You see, if you didn't have the police, then the same way you have unnamed criminals that just shoot and beat people up and no one ever knows about them and goes after them, well, we'd be unnamed too. We'd have it full anarchy and we'd defend ourselves and no one would know about it and you'd have a dead criminal body in the street like, like the roadkill that it should be, like a, like a raccoon on the side of the road, and that's it. It's not the system I want. I want ordered liberty. But if it's a choice between anarchy and anarcho-tyranny, well, then I want full anarchy. I want it symmetrical. I want it even. I want equal, equal protection or equal lack of protection. Think about it. Anytime you confront a black, guess what? You will be arrested. You will be arrested. That is the reality. So I want to. I, I don't want this slow bleed of humiliating police, but then they're used against us. I want to make it clear as day. Abolish the police now. Okay. And then we'll see what happens with all those excess homicides. You see, no one's ever going to riot on behalf of the 4,000-plus excess homicide victims and the tens of thousands of victims of carjackings as a result of BLM collapsing our criminal deterrent. But that's what it is. Remember, the first major case was a civilian case with Trayvon and and Zimmerman. Kyle Rittenhouse. It's not just about cops. And it's increasingly going to be about civilians as cops just lay off. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you're confronted with a punk? You think the jury is going to side with you? Oh, well, I'm not going to put my foot on someone's head for nine minutes. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with that. The jury didn't even ask questions of the judge, even on causation. Which suggests they never really considered the legal merits. They decided this before going into deliberations. The bottom line is, they had a gun to their head. Every jury and even judge will have a gun to their head, headed forward. It's KKK times a million. That is the lesson of our system. Even if you think there is more evidence against Chauvin, he did more wrong, I disagree, but that's not even the point here. Because almost every other case, really there's nothing wrong. And until recently we're like, look, despite the media circus, you always get a fair trial. That era is over with. And we're seeing that with the flip side of the coin. January 6th, those people. 
police get to do whatever they want to those people. And you know what? While we're at it, let's abolish the freaking FBI. Because again, the FBI noticed every terrorist attack. They had all the warnings. They did nothing about it. But boy, oh boy, are they there to break in the middle of the night and drag out a pregnant woman, mother of four, whose only participation in January 6th was being a peaceful protester who actually pulled off BLM folks from being provocateurs and breaking into the Capitol. So you know what? Hey, buddy, let's call your bluff. Let's abolish the, the, the FBI. Let's abolish the major city police departments. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. But we don't have Republicans promoting this message. Instead, they're all like, yes, yes, police, and we got to be careful. Yes, George Floyd is God. None of them are like, wait a minute. What about all the crime? What about the 96% of blacks that were killed, youths in Philadelphia? What about that? Where is this headed? Nothing. They're promoting more jailbreak. Almost every Republican governor. Ron DeSantis is the only one who passed HB1, the anti-rioting bill. But again, I'm not going to stand up for police. It's a lost cause. If anything, I'd say abolish them and focus our attention on self-defense laws. So this is going to be our job with our Liberty Strike Force teams. This is going to be our job. Focusing on rural and exurban sheriffs, county judges, prosecutors, as well as the state legislature to protect self-defense. That's what it is. Now, folks, as we talk about the greatest lessons to learn from the Chauvin conviction yesterday and really where it began and where it's headed, I want to bring on a special guest who is really thinking along the same lines as I am that the ultimate goal here for us should be to call their bluff and actually defund the police because they could only serve as a hindrance to our liberty and even security at this point, given the dynamics. And that is, again, as we said, mixing together the several elements we're seeing. This is not about the police. It's not like, well, Daniel, it's kind of a little bit crazy that case with the knee on the neck. You know, that doesn't always happen, so I could avoid doing that. No, no, no. This is not about being a cop, or even if you are a cop, avoid that situation, which is, as we spoke about, impossible to avoid because it's multiple situations. The situation is, if you are unlucky enough to be confronted by a criminal, not just any criminal, but if they happen to be black and you happen to be white, that is the only fact that matters in this new mob justice society mixed together with the videos and social media and the high-tech lynching. There's nothing left for you. Either you get prosecuted, best case scenario, you don't, but your life is destroyed. You can't get a job. Um, your family can't live in safety. You have to go into hiding. You may as well be dead. And that's coming to a place near you, and and you'll never know when you're going to get confronted with that. And the more they do this, the more particularly black criminals, young ones, will be um, undeterred to start up with you. And the more you're confronted with either let him beat me up, and I hope uh, he has mercy on me, or if I defend myself, I'm screwed over. This all comes to bear 
in a case that I haven't given enough attention to, but our next guest really did and wrote a terrific column on, and that is the case of Jonathan Pentland out in South Carolina. So like anything else, people just see these headlines, this white supremacist guy just basically verbally and even a little bit physically assaults a black guy, basically shoving him, get out of my neighborhood, you don't belong me here, there's a video, and the the military is disowning him, and he had to flee his home. But as always, there's more to the story about who the so-called white attacker is and the nature of the black, uh, you know, reported victim here. Uh, it's funny how they are almost incapable of making a saint out of someone who is not a dirtbag, who does not have terrible... Um, criminal charges or you know criminal history and this case really brings to together all of the elements we're talking about today pedro gonzalez many of you uh, follow him on twitter if you don't you really should you could follow him at um uh e-m-e-r-i-t-i-c-u-s um, on Twitter, he is a senior writer at American Greatness. He is a Mount Vernon fellow at the Center for American Greatness. And he's really one of the only allies I have writing about jailbreak, criminal criminal justice deform, even the Trump administration and associates that are still very high level within the Republican Party and the so-called conservative movement uh, pushing this jailbreak agenda uh, he's written all about it, but he's written a column called Defund the Managerial Regime. Pedro, welcome. Thanks for joining us. And could you describe why you call it the managerial regime? Well, first, thanks for having me. It's always good to be here, Daniel. And that question, that's actually a really big question, the managerial regime. But I think it really can be reduced down, uh, to, this, down to this idea of the United States as no longer a, call it a constitutional republic, but instead it's this, this managed thing where every aspect of our lives, increasingly public and private, are under the supervision uh, of different bureaucratic apparatuses. And I think for conservatives, a lot of this sounds familiar. A lot of this... Um, a lot of this will kind of just resonate with them. Like, yeah, that, that sounds right. Uh, the, the nanny state, the administrative state, the Leviathan, whatever. We have conservatives have a, a, a kind of a vocabulary to describe this stuff. Uh, but I think what conservatives haven't really come to grips with is that law enforcement and the military are not exempt from this. We have for the longest time been the, the camp of back the blue and we have, seeing the military as kind of like the backstop of the craziness that, you know, no matter what happens, if push comes to shove, the military is going to be there. And, and surely the military and law enforcement are above the reach of, of the managerial regime where basically institutions stop serving the public interest and they just become managed bureaucracies that are disconnected from their, from their original purpose, right? Well, they're not. And stories like Jonathan Pentland show this where you have the military leadership and the local police department, the Richland Sheriff's County Department, coming together to completely destroy this guy's life. And I can get into that story now if you'd like. No, that that's where I want to head with this. And um, 
but I wanted to get people just tease out the title of your column. But what's important here, as you mentioned about this guy, they work together to, to destroy his his um his life. And I think what what I want people to understand before you tell the story and the real facts that you've dug up on it is that I'm not joking anymore when I say I want the police and certainly I would say the big city police to be abolished. And, you know, what we're seeing is that their guys could do whatever they want. The criminals, the street thugs, they do whatever they want. They're never named, shamed. Uh, they don't have their lives destroyed and increasingly are never even locked up. But if you defend yourself and the media determines that that is a political science, um, that is one of their pet issues, that is something that advances their cause, their racialist agenda, you can't get justice. You get street justice, you get mob justice, you get high-tech lynching, and you have your life destroyed. But how do we know who you are? Well, that starts with an arrest, that you are arrested. So... In fact, if you actually abolish the police, which is not ideally what we want, but it's it's what they've dealt us with, you wouldn't have had a situation like this. Take it from there. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly the, what the conclusion of this points to. And so basically you have this man. He's a sergeant first class, United States Army. He's given a big chunk of his life to service for this country. And the video that goes viral just shows him, he's a, he's a big guy, confronting a smaller black man, telling him to get out of the neighborhood. At one point, he shoves him because this smaller black man uh, approaches his wife kind of aggressively. So he pushes him away from her and says, you know, uh, that's my wife you're talking to. And so if you watch it, it, it kind of just hits all of these checkboxes. Much bigger black, uh, white man bullies black man. Okay, that's not the full story. Um, now, before the full story even came out, as far as I can tell, I'm one of the only people that's written about like what I think has really happened here. Um, but like by the time that I got to this story, Jonathan Pentland had to be evacuated from his house. Uh, the police had upgraded the charge from it, it was initially just a citation because apparently he slapped uh, a phone that the black man was holding out of his hand. His, his, he's only identified as DeAndre, by the way. And so initially it was a citation for breaking property. That's it. But after two days, pressure starts mounting on the local police department. And two days after the fact, uh, the, the sheriff, Leon Lott, announces that actually he's, uh, Jonathan Pentland has been arrested on the morning of this press conference. And he's basically telling the mob, like, okay, you know, we're, we're going to work with you to, to get justice. And uh, I just want to let you know that we've, uh, we're now actually going to charge him with assault. And he's been arrested this morning. And by that evening, he had, he had actually been released, which kind of shows you that this whole thing is for show, right? They arrest him and release him on the same day. They charge him with like the worst thing they can, which is uh, a simple assault. And he's really just, he's looking at, at the most 30 days in jail and a $500 fine. But that's, that's not actually the important part. The important part is, is that by that evening, he had to be evacuated from his home because Black Lives Matter protesters had surrounded it and start throwing things and started throwing things through the window. And by basically within 48 hours of that incident, the military at Fort, uh, Fort Jackson, where he's stationed, um, had completely denounced him. One of the units that he served with, the 10th Mountain Division, they, they called him an extremist. And so, OK, what's missing from this story? 
uh, you know, the, the, the police have completely thrown him under the bus. The military that he served with for a good part of his life has completely turned on him. So what's missing? Well, it turns out that the guy that Jonathan Pentland confronted, DeAndre, is his name, as far as we know, it's just DeAndre. Uh, it looks like it's actually DeAndre Williams. But so, so what do we know? Four days before that confrontation, DeAndre had actually been accused of putting his hand on a woman's pants in that neighborhood. And it, it's, it's strange. This is, actually, this is actually a police report that was filed. And uh, this, is, this is the police report. Allegedly put his arm uh, around a woman's waist and put his hand down the right side of, of her shoulders and then put his arm around her waist as her pants were partly down. So it, it almost sounds like he uh, pulled, someone, p- pulled a woman's pants down and then like, tried to grab her again. So, th- so in other words, this is someone that you don't want in your neighborhood, right? So, okay, two days after the confrontation on April 10th, um, there's a second police report that's filed against DeAndre that he repeatedly tried to take someone's baby and walk away with it. So two days after that, after that second incident, that's when he comes back into the neighborhood. That's when witnesses say someone actually uh, asked Jonathan Pentland to intervene. This is, and this is all in police incident reports, by the way, that someone asked him to intervene because the community you know, is familiar with this guy. They feel threatened by him. And then that's actually what sparked the confrontation that people saw in this viral video that has no context whatsoever. So, so it wasn't a guy just walking on, around, you know, licking an ice cream right. cone, taking a walk, right. and some yeah. guy's like, hey, you're black. You don't belong in this neighborhood. Get out of right. here. Yeah. Right. That's right. One of, the, one of the people that recorded it said his only crime was walking while black. That's not true. <laughs> that's, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot here because there's so much going on, but that is, that is this story. Basically, and mind you, we never get, you know hear anything about the the crime of walking while while white. Which I mean, right, the the yeah. black and white attacks are are a million times more numerous and and exponentially more often blatantly racially tinged. And so it's not just the lying about the incidents they choose to report about, but what's but juxtaposed the obfuscation of what they don't talk about, which we don't like to talk about because we you know we're just you know be deter and punish bad guys. Um, we don't believe in this collective culpability based on the color of your freaking skin. So we don't like to focus on that. But if you're going to create a narrative that there's like this ubiquitous anti-black, you know, aggressiveness, it's really right. the opposite to the extent, uh, you know, that exists and you want to group people, but they get away with it. Right. And to put a point on this, the reason that Jonathan Petman was asked by the members of his community to confront DeAndre was because the police didn't do their job. Mm. This guy should not have been walking around. And it's funny because the Richland County Sheriff's Department, their, ex- this is, their excuse is that they wanted to divert DeAndre from the criminal justice system because he has an underlying medical condition. So, it, so uh, and of course, even if that's true, DeAndre is, is, a, is a hazard to himself yes. and to the community. So why not institutionalize Institutionalize him. Right? him. This, so they, this is a big problem. Uh, you know, Pedro, I, I speak about this on the show all the time. They have it both ways. So, you know, either like a lot of the craziest stories, like the cutting someone's heart out and this, then they're homeless people that are maybe criminally insane, but then all the more so it should have been obvious that you don't want to put him into a traditional penitentiary, put him into some sort of criminally insane place, but you can't have him on the streets. Right. Right. And, and again, so, so if that's true, he shouldn't have been free. If not prison, he should have been in some kind of institution. 
And then there's even more to this story that no one is talking about. If you look at recent uh, South Carolina court records for one DeAndre Williams, uh, you'll find recent accounts of malicious injury to animals, drug possession, wow. and trespassing slash entering premise after warning or refusing to leave on request. And it, it's like a 99% match that DeAndre is actually DeAndre Williams because there was also a recent story about a DeAndre Williams uh, in a local Columbia newspaper where this happened. It has a picture of him. It looks just like him. And in the article, it says that this guy was, uh, it says that he was found. In other words, he kind of wandered off and it said that like that he was found by police, that he has an underlying medical condition and they called him a vulnerable adult. So clearly this is someone who probably does have some kind of medical condition and that medical condition manifests as violent and like disturbing behavior. So why is he going free? And, And like the irony of this is again, Jonathan Pentland had to confront him because the police didn't do their job. And two, the irony of the whole, well, we don't want DeAndre to becoming a statistic and part of the criminal justice system. Jonathan Pentland is going to become a statistic and part of the criminal yes. justice system now. And, it, it's and he's just, a guy it, that was never a threat to people, upstanding guy. So, you know, it's kind of like right. their whole over-criminalization thing that you're like ensnaring people in situations where they don't need to be in jail. And, and really, it's the opposite. Those people, if police didn't exist, they would be violent as anything. And they're doing it, but but again, they don't care about that. We learned that with January sixth, uh, that whole low le- low level first time nonviolent trope applied to almost all of them, and they held them without bail um, for for right. po- trespassing public property. So so much for that low level thing. It's a two tier justice. Uh, racialist, uh, reverse Jim Crow, uh, BLM equals KKK situation, and they get to determine what happens. And I, I think, you know, it's so amazing how we think alike, how your column on this case really brings out with specificity the broad principle I was making. People might think I was, like, just being exas- exasperated, like, yeah, you know, well, let's just abolish police. But I'm being very strategic because, like, like you're pointing out with this case, the police were confronted with them precisely because the p- police are deterred from dealing with them. Now, you might say, well, you can't blame them. Fine. But then for them to come down on a vengeance when inevitably, right. if they're not dealing with them, some sort of civilian is going to be confronted by that guy at some point um, right. or is going to have to confront him if he's you know, terrorizing a neighborhood. And I see this all the time. This is happening increasingly, especially with juveniles. They come in very menacing they have, you know, four or five arrests for larceny, assault, things like that. Nothing happens to them. And, well, what are you going to do? So if you didn't have the police, in my mind, just like they have street justice, well, we'll do it back to them. And you'll kind of reach an equilibrium. It's not certainly not a great system. But no one knows who they are. No one riots and surrounds their house. But no one will know who these guys are and riot and surround their house. But now the only function a cop could could serve is really arresting them and publicizing their name, therefore. And then even if in this case the facts come to light and they're able to get a fair shake, what happens to them? Right. Yeah, well, their life is ruined. It, and that's, that's the important point, because I think that is going to be a rebuttal. Well, he just gets 30 days in, in jail, max, and a $500 fine. You know, black people end up dead for less, which is not, like, that's just statistically not true. So the, the important part is, is that his, his name is destroyed. His life is fundamentally changed for the worse, and his family is in danger. Like, that, that is the important part of the story, 
right? And the, the even uh, more important part is, is, as you've been doing it, putting it in the broader context of what people are calling the Ferguson effect. I think now they call it the, the, uh, the George Floyd effect, where basically police retreat from policing violent, specifically violent black crime in response to protests. Basically, cops don't want to do their job. Uh, they certainly don't want to shoot black people because they're afraid of, of, the re- of the professional repercussions of the riots and things like that, right? And so we know that this has resulted in soaring homicide rates. Like, tw- I think 25% between uh, in, in the last year across the United States. And, and like that, that is preliminary FBI data for 2020. The homicide rates across the country have surged 20, uh, 25%. Pretty much everyone agrees that the reason this is happening is because cops really are just retreating from areas where they should be policing uh, because of they're, they're just afraid of the repercussions, right? And so one of the terms people are using is, is de-policing. Uh, but that's actually a misnomer. They're not de-policing. They're, they're just policing you. God help you if you find yourself in a place where the cops have pulled back from policing and you find yourself in a position where you have to defend yourself because your life is over. Even if it's like a clean self-defense situation, like with Jonathan Pentland, right? South Carolina has castle doctrine. And in, the, in one of the incident reports, the police note that DeAndre had uh, a, a, like aggressively approached his wife and that she was standing on her property. Doesn't like, shouldn't Pentland and his family be protected by Castle Doctrine? I mean, he shoved the guy. Castle Doctrine says you can kill someone if they come on your property and like threaten, like, you know, do something that makes you feel threatened and, or that you think is going to cause like grave bodily harm. And like, DeAndre is someone who's disturbed, like you don't, and the community is familiar with him. You, you kind of see where I'm going with this. It's like you think that Castle Doctrine would protect you from shoving someone off your property. Apparently not. And nope. so, again, to your point of, of like the defunding the police, I think the part that conservatives are missing is um, like they're not really functioning like police anymore. They're just functioning like enforcers of the managerial regime yep. and their functions. Their functions, their thought Which is why at a time where we have the weakest policing, they look pathetic and so weak, except when it comes to the January 6th protesters, boy, oh boy, do they look strong. Or when it comes to that you know, woman who escaped communism in Poland and established a restaurant in central Michigan being hauled off to jail. Well, who brought her in? State troopers. Right. I mean, that's right. the irony of the anarcho-tyranny um, and I always say, if it's a choice between anarcho-tyranny and anarchy, I'll take the plain anarchy. And that's that's what concerns me here. Um, you know, just want to close with this, Pedro, on what, what concerns me. And you've had the guts to directly grab the bull by the horns and broach this issue. And, and it's a philosophical question. I don't, you know, I don't know what you do when we fail to deter it properly when it needed to be deterred over the last generation or two. But... You clearly have, you know, I'm, I'm just reading from the New York Post here. You have the story, and there's many of them, where BLM protesters screamed at white people. They said, you don't belong here. We don't want you here. They were dining in, like, outside in Manhattan because you can't dine inside there. Um, so they get harassed outside. I mean, what do you do when you have a modern-day blood libel? BLM, blood libels matter. You know, yeah. basically in Europe, 
Um, it came from the fact that, you know, Jews were persecuted and not only did they persecute them, but they, they projected upon them like they were the ones being violent and killing people when really it was the opposite. And then that gave a license for them to further inflame and stoke stow people up against them. It's the same thing here. Like, we never asked for this. We don't want this. Normal right. people don't give a blank about what the hell someone's race color is. Like, normal non-political retards on Twitter. Um, you know, you like, you know, I was speaking yesterday to my mail carrier. She's black and she actually agrees on all this stuff. She's conservative. You're like, no, no one cares. Like, you know, we come from different backgrounds, different neighborhoods, but like, we're yeah. like human beings and like, we don't care. But when they foist upon us this, th this lie, this blood libel that somehow whites are increasingly anti-black when really it's the exact opposite. And then the more they, lie about it the more it actually happens and we're seeing these um you know endless anti-white attacks that 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 are never talked about there's a particular hatred you know you see on new york subways for jews and asians i spoke about a lot of that yesterday with asians all these uh, attacks that the media is covering up um what do you do about that when you have a race war that you don't want you don't believe in you didn't ask for well, I think there are, there are four things that happen. One, it, it, it does the opposite of, of what it's ostensibly intended to do, and, and that's that it's actually going to worsen race relations. Like, it's just, that is a fact of life, that if you give one group privileges and benefits over the others, then that group is going to be even more resented. So I think that the irony of BLM is that it's going to create resentment between groups like we haven't seen in a long time, I think. And two, I think that you're going to see uh, increasing attacks on whites. Like, I think um, that this is just going to become like the new norm where like anything could happen to a white person and the media will either downplay it, justify it, or just ignore it. And three, I think you're going to see more what people call white flight, right? Uh, white people just feeling like it's in their self-interest, not because they don't like black people or whatever, uh, but it's just, I don't want to be in, in, in a place where uh, if I just defend myself on my way to or from work, my life is ruined. And so I'm going to you know, leave this area and go to a place where there are uh, less minorities just out of my own self-interest, right? But for uh, the problem with, the white flight issue is that the democratic party, this makes conservatives really uncomfortable to talk about, but it's just a fact. The democratic party knows that like diversity and even like interstate immigration works to their benefit. Right. And I think that they use different bureaucratic systems to like, whether it's like low income housing or whatever, uh, even like states like Vermont have actually created diversity offices where it's it's the role of this this state government official to increase the diversity in in communities in Vermont like it's freaking it, it's totally Orwellian right and so this is like another issue is that like basically white flight uh, is actually probably not going to help you for long because it's going to come to you like somehow through different functions of of the managerial regime through different bureaucratic offices like it will find you and so I think this. For conservatives, it means you can't be like the limited government uh, defense party forever. Like you need to figure out how to use power yes. uh, where and where and when you have it 
to protect yourself. Like you, you can't, you can't be the party of like, well, you know, let's compromise on criminal justice reform. Well, you know, like let, let's, like there is no middle ground on this. Like you have to go on the offense. You, I think yes. for conservatives, they're naturally oriented towards defense. Uh, not really possible anymore. That that that's very sobering because I mean, what what we're seeing all the time, um, and, and we could talk about these tragedies from now until tomorrow, but what I've noticed is the message to young black youth is that your violence is is um is speech. And everyone else's speech is violence and keep it going. Do more, do more. And what we're seeing increasingly is that they're getting younger and younger and even more female than we've seen before. And that's, you know, this is the thing of the 16 year old girl in um, uh, Columbus, Columbus from yesterday. But yeah. we had, I mean, the case of a 13 and 15 year old girl is brutally killing an Uber driver. At best, right. they'll be out at 21 possibly at 18 we saw here in maryland and, and again this happens all the time with the knockout the case of john weed in frederick maryland i had the sheriff on a few times and he was literally there with his deputies and he said you know there were a whole group of them and they were throwing racial epithets it was very racially motivated as as many of those knockout situations are it's not just kind of like you know a robbery gone bad or something like that and they got nothing. I mean, absolutely nobody, even the ones that directly did it, much less the accomplices, they got anger management. I mean, this happens all the time. My question to you is, I, I'm a little older than you, I think. And I, I so I remember when things were bad in the early 90s when I was young. And there was an outcry. And that was the, you know, 94, 96 elections were all about that. Um Every Republican was tough on crime, and even a lot of Democrats were forced to come along. There was an outcry, and now it's every Democrat is pro-criminal, and most Republicans that matter and have power are, are also pro-criminal. Almost every Republican governor in the South, much less, is is bought into it. When, where does this end? I mean, is it that people don't care, or is it that they really do and are upset, but unlike 30 years ago, they don't have a voice through a political party. I think it's actually a mixture of all those things. And also uh, it's really disturbing to think about this, but I think a lot of people actually have been sort of led to believe these things are true. Like the, the systemic racism stuff, the, like the, you know, the blacks are more likely to be shot by cops. All this stuff is not true. And it's just disprovable in the existence of things like affirmative action and stuff like that, that makes it actually very clear that the opposite is true. Right. Yeah. But I think that because, and again, I, 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 of course, blame Democrats for a lot of this stuff, but I also blame uh, the Republican Party and the conservative movement for basically just abandoning institutions and then kind of adopting this, this negative position of like, well, um, we can't go on the offense. We can't attempt to try to reform institutions ourselves because, you know, power is bad. We should eschew power and, and all that. Uh, well, what has happened? We've lost control of the universities. We've lost control of the media, except for like a few networks. And even those networks are mixed. Uh, and often worse. Like, they're often worse than, right, yeah. Right. They're very subversive. They, yeah, right. Because then they, because then like so-called conservative networks will, will actually mislead their conservative viewers about the facts on like things like, like criminal justice reform. Yeah. Like, I, I hate to say this, but Fox was boosting the First Step Act, which was a jailbreak bill, right? So, okay, we've lost control of the media. Now we're losing control of law enforcement in the military. Uh, and I think 
So it, that explains why I think a lot of people uh, have gone along with it. But my hope is that there's going to be a kind of reaction that you're going to see a swing back hard to the other side and that people rally, I hope, around guys like Ron DeSantis. I'm no politician's cheerleader, but the fact that DeSantis signed a bill that allows, that allows people in, in Florida to protect themselves uh, from looters and rioters, that tells me that like whatever DeSantis's flaws are, uh, at least this guy has the backbone to allow uh, Floridians to protect themselves. And so it's my hope that one, people like DeSantis are real, and that two, other people in office will follow his lead. Uh, but I think really, it, like this is kind of a long game. We're not going to uh, complete a like a, a, a long march through the institutions overnight and, and take stuff back. I think it's actually going to get much worse. And and in some cases, we have to be willing to, to make to it worse. worse. To make it worse. Right, and I, I right. don't want the slow boil. I want people to feel the hell. Like the worst thing. And th- th- this is the problem with the abolish the police thing. Republicans and conservatives always fight the wrong thing. They they pick the most extreme thing. And really, you already have that same thing manifested more subtly, which is even worse. And then and they they don't fight that. Like I, I right. you know to me. The, the main problem is, as I always say, I think even more than the policing, it's the sentencing and the convictions and the whole criminal justice system. Right. It's jailbreak is the bigger problem because um, you have more of them out on the streets than ever before undeterred. And that's the issue. So police have already been abolished in terms of what we want them for. To me, right. I, I'd love to say to every major city, let's shut every major city police department. Let's do it. Okay, go have it. You want it? Go have it. We essentially have incurred the liability anyway of that, we may as well reap the benefits both in terms of us not being under their thumb from COVID fascism and self-defense, but also, um, you know, maybe making it a little bit worse quicker so you don't have that slow boil yeah. of a yeah, new normal. No, exactly right. Yeah, and and I think the other, point, the other important part to stress here is that uh, it's not that there are no good individual cops. Of course there are. But even cops have to be wondering, what the hell am I doing here? I do all of this work to get some some guy off the street. And then my supervisors in the police department and prosecutors do everything they can to undermine the work and the risk that I took to get that person off the street. Like, that is actually a great question. What are you doing at that that police department if that's happening? Because it's actually probably more likely that you're going to be called to to do something like enforce some, some COVID restriction or to arrest someone who was involved in a self-defense scenario. Like, you're, like we're not anti-good cops. We're, we're anti-bad institutions. And the military and law enforcement inst- uh, apparatuses have become, like, they're not immune from the rot that everyone would agree has affected Congress and, and whatever else you can think of, right? They're not. And I, I think conservatives really need to be willing to see these uh, these issues clearly and like you said, I mean, some people would call it Leninism. Uh, worse is better. But in a way, it's like, if, if you think about it, having the, the police, these big city departments as they exist right now, it basically means that, um, one, you're, you're subject to the anarchy of them not policing uh, specifically black violent crime. And two, you're also subject to the tyranny of them going out of their way to police you. Bingo. So Bingo. Would you rather take would you rather take your chances uh, like let's say you defund the police department. Okay. Uh, now you're taking your chances against criminals, but 
you know, if you do defend yourself and you do do something, you're not going to have to deal with like a SWAT team coming to break down your door because you protected yourself and your family. And I think that's, that's, that's not like, that's not crazy. Like that's a scenario to think about. I would actually much rather uh, deal with like my own stuff and protect my own family than have to basically second guess, like, do I, do I do this? Do I defend myself? Because if I do this, like I'm going to have to, I'm going to deal with getting dragged out of my house and crucified for, for doing the right thing. That, 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 that is the country we're living in, and, and, and as I say all the time, not just on this issue, these are the type of strategies that we need to start engaging. Um, as you know, I'm a very traditional conservative. I've never budged. I've never changed in my views, and I never will. But we need to be less conservative in strategy and more conservative in outcomes um, because the way – the analogy I would give is that – what, what what the the system has been really good about doing is getting that danger right in the middle where you can't reverse engineer it, get it out to where it started, but you can't come out the back end where you solve it. Like it gets so bad and it kind of, you know, it ends. Kind of like the analogy I'd give is someone choking. You know, the worst thing is you can't get it up, but you can't swallow it. That That's the right. problem. And I feel like that's where we are as a country now, and that's what's so painful we're mainly always focused on, you know, just the traditional stuff, getting it out. But it's clear that's never going to happen anymore. We have to start thinking of of strategies that are just going to just could we just quickly get it down and just culminate yeah. it quickly, bring it to a head where there's an inflection point, a moment of clarity, an Elijah on Mount Carmel type of awakening, um, yeah. rather than this slow humiliation of idolatry, the cycle of judges that we're living in. And I think this is a great example we're talking about with maybe, you know, kind of like a tug of war. You know what? I'm going to stop pulling it. I'll just precipitously let go of the of the rope and let them fly into the into the water there. You know, you kind of use jujitsu on them politically. And that's what we need to do. And I think this uh, Penland case really brings out the need for that when it's juxtaposed to, you know, all the criminals on the streets and how we're going to be confronted with them. So, Pedro, thanks for fighting. Thanks for writing. Thanks for exposing this stuff when other people won't won't uh, broach it. And we're really looking forward to having you back again. Oh, thanks so much, Sam. Well, folks, that was Pedro Gonzalez. Again, we are out of time till tomorrow. God bless you all. And thank you for listening. <laughs>